0: In this follow-up episode of the Conscious Diva podcast, my guest, Akashic Records teacher Rohini Maradi Sweeney, continues to demystify the idea of Akashic Records gatekeepers. And we talk about Rohini's Persian Magi lineage, Zoroastrianism, and modern magic, where we discuss witchy stuff like our own esoteric experiences when Rohini and I dove deeper into our own records to learn about our spiritual lineage. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, in part one, Rohini talked about the Akash, her upbringing in a Hare Krishna community, and so much more. Head over to theconsciousdiva.com, episode 39, to read the show notes for everything we talk about in that episode. Thank you for listening, sharing, commenting, and loving my podcast. And now, episode 40, with Rohini Marani Sweeney. Welcome to the Conscious Diva podcast. I'm Tatiana and with me today for part two of her interview is the wonderful Rohini Maradi Sweeney. In our previous interview, we talked about your interesting upbringing in the Hare Krishna community. And we had an amazing discussion on the expansiveness of the Akash, but we didn't get to go deeper in to this idea of the gatekeepers of the Akash, or your lineage with the Persian Magi. So with all of that, welcome back, Mohini, and thank you so much for taking the time to uh, continue our amazing conversation. Yay,
1: it's so wonderful to be back. I've been looking forward to talking with you again. So thanks for
0: having me. <laughs> yay, yay. So, well, let's just jump straight back into that, because we the, the okay. conversation on the Akash, like, where does this idea of the gatekeepers, where did it come from? And are they, are there librarian angels guiding and protecting? And, and where what is this notion of um, you know, sort of needing to unblock, you know, the Akash yeah. in order to access it? I love
1: this question. And and to be honest with you, it's the unseen world is undefined. And I don't think we'll ever be able to like fully define it in these bodies. So who knows, maybe there is like a library with angels protecting it. But um, to me and like my studies and what it's starting to sound like is uh, fundam- fundamentalist ideas being and brought and put onto this this undefined thing that we call the Akash or now we call the Akashic records. And this actually happened like early nineteen 19- 1900s. So it's a new, age ideology that's been brought on prior to that it was just the akash it was this the sacred place the womb of all that is and it was acknowledged as that and these vibrational frequencies of life that we exchange within one another were just a part of it and ever expansive you know ever expanding and the sages the rishis the monks like the druids they all understood that we can access these these, um, frequencies by going deep inward. And now what I see is um, it's becoming this outward source that people are imagining. And there are now entities protecting it and only letting some people in and not. And there's a lot of talk that's starting to sound like gatekeeping and fundamentalism, where it keeps people from becoming expansive. It's like creating barriers rather than giving people the key and knowledge that this is a part of all of us and it's within them too, you know? Uh, yeah,
0: it, it's so interesting. I didn't realize that there was a movement around potentially keeping people out. Like the, the idea of a gatekeeper doesn't necessarily sound like a threat or ominous or something. It just sounds like You need to find the key (laughs) and then you can get in, you know, in a sort of basic sense. But as you were explaining it, I just thought, wow, like I I can understand how there might be some movements that are, or I don't even want to say movements, maybe a trend perhaps even, because Uh, uh as people are waking up, you know, and and to use a, you know, sort of a phrase that's been, you know, really thrown around the last couple of years, uh, but it's true, people are really coming into their own realizing there's more to ourselves than these than our bodies there's more to what we see with our naked eye or human eye and are tapping in in the last couple of years through COVID a lot of us have had the opportunity to go much deeper and do so much you know incredible self-exploration so I wondered as you were saying all that do you think that there's uh some consciousness some some force that exists uh is perpetuating this idea of gatekeeping so as the human as humans as a species on this planet at this time start to become way more you know evolves well i guess as we begin to evolve spiritually and open up and tune into our awareness through all these different practices uh, that are available through yoga, through different self-realization modalities um, that perhaps there's a a negative consciousness that doesn't want people to, to do this, that doesn't want humans to experience this.
1: So to answer that question, we'd have to define like what consciousness really is. And, you know, the way I've perceived it and defined it is consciousness is the collective thought of all that is. And that collective thought is created by us, by the animals, by everything, you know, it's the vibrational frequencies that we emit. So if we're defining it that way, Yeah, sure. There's a lot of resistance to these things based on our belief systems and our ideologies. And there, there might be a part of us that is afraid to expand in that way. So we create Mm -hmm. different obstacles per se, or different, I don't know, like practices to be able to expand to that point. And and to be quite honest, like, it's not something you just like jump into and you're Okay, I'm here. It, it is like an inner work. It's this yeah. inner journey that we go through that sometimes like um, can I mean, not, not sometimes, every time, can last lifetimes and lifetimes. It's the slow evolution of the soul. So yeah. perhaps we are creating
0: something like that. You know Well, do you think that? well, well first, thing I'm going to ask you, have you had any clients come to you and say, "I have encountered a gatekeeper? What do I do?"
1: I actually have not. The way I teach is quite different though. And, you know, I go back to the tantra roots and Vedic roots of teaching where it's it's really an inward journey. And I don't have my students just like jump in and practice reading the Akashic records or whatever, or reading the frequencies of the Akasha is what I like calling it more. So I haven't had that experience because my students have done the inner work where they can recognize their inner world and their frequencies and their expansion and contraction. So when, when they're going into this space, which is right here, it's nowhere else. um, (laughs) They're, they're able to recognize it differently. And I don't, I feel like they've already taken care of those blocks and those, those things that may come up you know it's a really long journey it's not like yay, let's do it now (laughs) tomorrow
0: yeah Yeah. well and and do people realize that that it's because just coming back to this this notion of I guess guardians or protectors I'm I for you and I who have been working in this space and on ourselves throughout our entire lives the the journey into that space can be, I don't want to say easy, but comes more naturally, I suppose, yeah. in the sense that we have been practicing for so long, we understand uh, what needs to happen to cross over, to, to go into that other realm and uh-huh. commune and, and so forth. So when, and I guess what I'm trying to understand or have perhaps uh, paint the picture of, from other things that I've, from readings and and just hearing people talk about these the gatekeepers of the akash, because I I never experienced that. I'm I've never been like, what do you mean? It's like, what gatekeepers? Like who are these gatekeepers? And that immediately. <laughs> Creates this visual in the mind, literally gates, right? Like like people yeah. think there are these pearly gates in you know in the sky when you when you leave your human form, you go off with these gates that you go through, and it's sort of like like for me that's what I visualize. I'm like, well, I don't know, no, I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some giant gates and there's a couple of entities be, in whatever form they choose to present themselves in standing there going, know, you can't come in and you can. Uh, so can, is there like, can you uh, expand on that as a theory, I guess?
1: Of course, to me, it sounds like the gates of heaven or something like that. And I, I think it's directly taken from just religious upbringings. I really do believe that where mm-hmm these people are allowed and these people aren't allowed. Um, If you do this, this, and this, then you're allowed. But again, like this really goes back to the inner work of of us as individuals too. I, I really do think it's untrue that there are gatekeepers because I've never experienced it too, but that doesn't mean that defines like the reality of it. But from my understanding of the Akasha, we are the entities, we are the angels, we are the consciousness, we are everything that is. So whatever is keeping us from something, um, from information, from expansion is ourselves, really. Mm -hmm. So that's what, to me, like, it just sounds like the comfort of fundamentalist thinking, Mm -hmm. when I hear there's gatekeepers.
0: I like this explanation because it's like we're our own blocks. Yeah. We are the, the, we are the reasons there's a barrier in our life. Uh-huh. And as it is with the hermetic principles, you know, as within, so without, that applies very much so with the Akashic. It's almost like if you're having a block in your real life, your material life, then when you go to go deeper, you will have, you will experience a, a block of a similar nature yeah, perhaps. yeah. as above so below <laughs> yeah you know what was interesting when you had said that you know we're talking about the gatekeepers i i wondered wow like is mm. there that when i was referencing specifically like a negative consciousness there there can exist in the ethers just because of the polarities of good and bad you know good and evil and um light and darkness like it exists everywhere not everything is just pure and goodness while you know all creation is i think comes from a very loving place i think creation is of pure intent and and uh wishes only the best for all Mm -hmm. living beings i totally believe that and but i also believe that there's some sort of enigmatic force that we we maybe we can't identify it for a reason but i there's mm-hmm. a lot of people on the planet that i think connect to that gravitate towards that and it's, we're having yep. a war right now and there's lots of other things and globally when you look at what's happening in the planet there's all sorts of different pockets of stuff going on where it's possible that there's a force that comes from that consciousness that's purposely wanting to keep humanity in a veil, you know, and cloaked, yeah, so that they don't, so humans don't, you know, remember remember their who they are, you know, mm. remember their truth, and so that's why I was wondering, why wow, I wonder if this, I mean, it makes sense what you how you explained to the gatekeepers that. It really it's our own block that's preventing us from accessing what's there, our own wisdom about ourselves. But I Mm -hmm. I also wondered if there's perhaps another type of of gatekeep cloaking or so to speak uh, that could exist in that space. So probably. Wow. You know, after you say that, I kind of like see what
1: you're talking about because I've never really thought about it much, to be honest with you. But wow. You're right. And that's like a mass control form. But after you started talking about that, I feel like there is probably some subconscious
0: like mind control thing possibly happening. For sure. So, okay. So I'm going to move on unless you want to talk more about that. I, I wanted to. No. So I wanted to move on to the Persian Magi because I think that has so much to say about that. <laughs>
1: yeah. I wish I was an expert in this space too, but I'll share what I can.
0: Well, so who, who are they? How, how will you describe or tell us about your lineage, your Persian lineage okay. first? So I have
1: multiple Magi in my lineage. From my mom's side, um, we're directly connected to Abu Saeed Siab, who was one of the first physicians and alchemists to incorporate using alcohol as the base for medicine, which is really cool. And that really changed medicine. Like world doctor day is now um, on his supposed birthday. They used the lunar calendar then. So it's a little different, but (laughs) that's from my mom's side. And she has a lot of uh, royalty, like sultans and stuff on her bloodline, which really weren't magi. Um, They were more the opposite of that I would say um and then on my father's side the the most exciting thing is he is a magical person like he he's so connected he has a really hard time being a human being honestly because
0: um
1: and he's easily like swayed or whatever's going on in this world because he's like I don't understand this world so whatever people are saying it's probably real you know and mm-hmm. it's like no 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 no. but he's more connected to like this um spiritual force the spiritual realm and a few years ago maybe like five years ago or something he found out that he, his lineage comes from a very famous uh stage from Iran called Mahdi Emadi Safavi and a lot of the information on this um Magi has been has disappeared because of the revolution and everything but he was very famous there's a statue of him in iran where people like really respect him and his work was for the people which is what the original work of magic really was it was for the people so once we found out that this person was in his lineage like his life changed he brightened up he's like oh my gosh it all makes sense to me now like he completely uh, understood that undefined feeling within his whole life you know and and he's like he like stepped into himself a little more like that part of him was activated and I don't know if you believe in this or not but like when we can activate these different parts of our our DNA you know if we really call on it or if we want to so um there was a big change in him after that happened it was really cool
0: (laughs) oh that's amazing I can totally imagine uh him yeah, I can I can totally imagine that experience, and and then suddenly understanding, you know, where like why he's the way he is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> it was so and, cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, uh, how much do you know about Zoroastrianism?
1: I know a little bit, and my understanding of it, it's the um, first monotheistic religion where they all believed in one God. And Zoroastrian, Zoroastrian tradition has a lot of similarities with Hinduism too, and in a dualistic way. So it's a very interesting uh, history there. And uh, it, it, it I find it like really interesting too, because like my family was completely drawn towards the Hinduism aspect of it. Mm. And the more I learned about like Zoro- Zoroastrianism, I find how similar my upbringing was to like the the past religion or the past belief system I should really say Mm. of Iran because my family completely went against you know the Muslim revolution and all of that which is why we had to flee and you know we weren't welcome there but it's really interesting to find out that they pretty much worship opposing gods so let's say in in Hinduism, they call the the their deities, Devas, right? Mm -hmm. And in Zoroastrian, they call their demons Devas, which is Mm -hmm. really interesting, because there was like this little, perhaps like ancient battle or something that went on between them, where they chose these opposing sides. I don't know too much about that. So don't um, (laughs) quote me. But um, there's also the Iranians, uh, what do they believe in? They believed in...
0: uh, well, in others as asrians believe that there is one universal transcendent all good, you yeah. know, ultimate supreme creator deity, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. like Hinduism has a similar oh well, I mean, there's Brahma, and of course, there's Vishnu and there's Shiva, but um and while those are three, they're almost like Brahma's the ultimate, yeah, right, like the the supreme creator. and then. Mm-hmm. You act the, through the practices of your rituals and worship and so forth. We we learn to activate the you know the male, the feminine, or the masculine aspects of the devas and the devatas, and then you know within ourselves, but also around and sort of have this expansive experience, so to speak.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part of that original thing, um, the original magic that lived within that area, some big similarities between Hinduism and Zoroastrianism is that the the teachings, the initiations were about going inward and really working with ourselves inward so that we can output into the world. Like the original form of magic was to help the communities was to bring out the best in the people and the world around you, mm. and once it became like this selfish act, or people took it um, into a, a selfish act to like uh, alleviate like um, temporary situations or not, it became sorcery in their mind. They're like, "This is sorcery. This is very well." There's a clear difference selfish. between
0: sorcery and and magic. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. I totally believe, and I actually I believe there are, there people do practice both today yeah in the modern yeah. world and and mm-hmm. it's sorcery's taken a whole other turn but when you were talking about this great battle what I was thinking was that there of the Mahabharata in the Hindu tradition mm. because in that story there is a great battle that that took place
1: wow I, I see I need to study more history about that but it's so vast that history is so vast it's it could take a lifetime to learn at this point because yeah, it's I mean
0: <laughs> it's so true. I mean like I've been studying this stuff for so for a good part of the last 15 years and that's nowhere near enough. Like oh, oh my god, like I mean <laughs> you should see my stack of books next to my bed. But I was wondering I actually came upon a book the other day and it's the it's called Original Magic yes. Rituals and Initiations of the Persian Magi by Stephen Flowers. And have you read that? I, I haven't read yep. it. Yep. Yeah. Best. Okay. Book. So that sounded amazing. Yes. Okay, the cool. cool.
1: The coolest thing about that book, like the history, everything amazing, the way he presets it and prefaces um, his book is amazing. Um, but the coolest thing about that book is he takes you on a year long journey of mm. actually doing the practices of the Persian Magi. So oh, it's wow. It's amazing it's really powerful. powerful's what, really what po- are
0: some of the practices like do, you, do you, and do you you, do you have you experimented with them? Yeah
1: I have I mean a lot of the practices are very similar where um, there's a connection to fire using elements using the um, holy string setting up altars working inward so that we can express outward so there's a lot of similarities in that way
0: mm. mm-hmm. Cool, and then there was another book, the Magian Tarot, the origins of the tarot in the Mithraic and the Hermetic traditions. Have you heard of that one? I have, and isn't it isn't that one by Stephen Flowers as well? Um, It is, but it is by Stephen Flowers, and I just thought, wow, like I mean, I I think I need to buy these books. (laughs)
1: Yes,
0: (laughs) Yes. yeah. I I actually, (laughs) I have that book, but I haven't read it,
1: and it's just sitting. Oh yeah, God. I mean, I didn't realize
0: the tarot, you know, was related to the the magi and this sort of Medea traditions. And uh, I and and then the way he describes it as the tarot is a mythic map of the world and of its consciousness mm. was really amazing. I just thought, wow, this, you know, what a what a fascinating book. So anyway, well, you have it. You need to read it. And, and I, need I need to, to read to it. I it. I have a whole stack of books too. Like- constantly I'm like okay this one
1: so then <laughs> the ADD you...
0: comes out <laughs> yeah yeah so are you familiar with then the ancient Medea like this the you know the where Medea was a place doesn't exist anymore and actually I had to look it up I had to actually see like where was it you know like it doesn't exist yeah. but it's where you know the the Magi I believe came from for the Persian yeah. society and and then when I was reading on about about the Magi I didn't realize that they that there had a day, a really horrible story, you probably know that there's a celebration day where they would kill the Magi and make it a sport once a year or like some sort of annual celebration uh, to, to get rid of, of the Magi essentially, which would make sense why a lot of them had to keep things, you know, their practices in secret.
1: I had no idea about that. That sounds terrifying, but it doesn't surprise me in that region there's a lot of uh, scary stuff (laughs) that that I've, I've seen and learned about. There's this celebration where there was like a war and like, apparently like they beheaded the opposing side and they put heads on sticks and like paraded around. And they recreate this still today, like yearly about there's fake heads on, I don't remember what it's called, but there's a lot of weird stuff like that. I think that's actually,
0: yeah. I what is I that described. Yeah, that I don't know enough about this to, to okay. say the name of that. Mm. I don't dare we use the word festival, but that's and it's like a festival. That's it what is. it is. They have this yeah. bizarre celebration of that time, uh-huh. and I don't even. I don't think they realized. I don't think. Uh, well, I might be wrong, but I, I would be shocked if people realized they were celebrating the killing of. Good people,
1: yeah, they probably had no idea. Killing of people it, in
0: general is bad, but you know, the killing of the magi is what they're. Saying. Yeah,
1: and you know, like the the thing is that the magi's work was so effective that people saw it, and a lot of people believed it to be sorcery of some kind. And this is where it's like <laughs> what we call a witch hunt, in a way, you know. And it's still celebrated. And the sad thing about that region is that. There's a lot of information hidden. Like a lot of information has been destroyed and hidden and rewritten, which I know happens all over the world. But that's the upsetting part is people are probably still celebrating it without any access to ever learning of its origin or what it even is.
0: Yeah, they're probably they probably think they're celebrating a victory over, you know, conquerors that were trying to pillage the land. Yep. And while there may be, who knows, a a hint of truth in that, I don't know because I haven't studied that. Um, I only read, as I shared, just that bit about the celebration. And... And but I didn't realize they were still doing it like to this day you know, when amazing. I was a
1: child it was still happening I'm not sure because I we moved out of there in 1989 and only visited you know like here and there yeah. but when I was a child um, I remember being at my grandparents house and opening the door and it's like a big festival of people walking and like hitting themselves with chains and like <laughs> wow. it was a terrifying thing to see and I was very traumatized by it my you know we stayed inside my parents like it's a really scary thing we're not going outside today but uh from my understanding it happened until 1989 when we left so who knows if it's still happening
0: or not wow that's awful let's bring everything up beat now <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, switch the the tone and it's important to talk about those things you know of course but uh i wish i knew i i will definitely educate myself more on on that so i can understand what it's called and and you know more deeply uh have an understanding of this connection and what's going on today It's just for my own knowledge you know if that ever comes up again Me to too. be able to inform a person correctly i think is really important uh, or at least share some knowledge with a you know one person's one person's view is never correct versus the other person's view right but you can always share what um so that more knowledge can be spread and someone totally they wish with that information so anyway so <laughs> <laughs> with all of that what, how, in your own experience with your with your the knowledge of your family and and this beautiful lineage have you in through your own deep work experienced or had you know revelations and and can you share those
1: yeah of course you mean revelations and according to yeah uh, like what is come for
0: you like in in a deep state when you're in in meditation or or visiting the akash did you ask show me you know teach me about my lineage teach me about my family or my bloodline and 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 if so like what came for you yeah thank you this is kind of
1: fun (laughs)
0: Um, because I rarely
1: talk about the things that I've seen personally in there. So one of the one of the first times that I asked about my lineage was before we found out uh, the name of the stage that we were in. But I saw, okay, So what I saw um, during one of my explorations is like not desert land, but like dry land. Nighttime with stars all above, and I could see my hands because the way I, I receive information is usually through movie like visuals that move around. So it felt like I was in my old body um, in a way. And I saw my hands like preparing like um, sofre, which is like a uh, just like a cloth, like putting it down and putting like water in like a, a copper bowl kind of thing, the sky was dark but it was like that dark blue where it's it's not scary it was illuminated in a way Mm. the moon was bright and um, you could see like stars everywhere and I just saw myself like going up sitting in and just I don't know just kind of enjoying the view while connecting with myself in some form of meditation that wasn't close-eyed and I really didn't know what to make of it then but as you know, life unraveled itself. I started learning this could have been an ancestor of mine or like a past life where I did these practices that I'm doing now, which is something you mentioned earlier too, why it comes so easily to some people is because it's been like lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes of working these like um, muscles where we teach our new bodies how to do it again. you know, where the access becomes easier and easier and the going inward and the journey of like expansion becomes easier and easier throughout throughout lifetimes. But that's what that vision really told me um, was that you've done this before. And now when I sit and I can just set up an altar without someone telling me how to, it's because I've done it in past lifetimes so many times, and I know exactly what I need. And I, you know, just like you, it's like, we know how to call in energy. We've done, our soul has gone through the journey here and taught itself through so many lives to be able to fully go inward and expand so we can experience life in this body more fully, really, you know? That's one of the um, biggest insights that I've received. And wh- when was that? That was. I mean, I know I'm trying to remember. It's really hard to remember after it happens. I would say that's probably like the third or fourth time I I even tried to access the Akasha. I was in a very sad state, and what I try, you know, I sat and meditated for. A very long time after Arishi passed and the way I dropped in was very quick and I was able to connect with my higher self, spirit guys, angels, whatever you want to call it um, very quickly. And I would start asking questions very regularly during meditation. I wasn't just sitting, it was in mindfulness meditation. It was more uh, mm-hmm. connecting. Yeah. And when I started When I learned about the Akasha and I started trying to connect in that way, it took me a really long time because I didn't really understand it. And a lot of it had to do with like the gatekeeping that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And what I had read about the Akashic records and like how there are these entities protecting it and all that stuff. And that's why I kind of have like a rubbed the wrong way feeling about it. It's because that's the one thing that kept me from really being able to expand into that space. And after I just put away all the outer information and went for the inner information, I was able to open up the records. And one of the first things I saw was just like, like, who knows if it's a God or whatever, but it was like, the the closest thing that I could describe is that, you know, uh, Zoro, Zoroastra, is that how you pronounce his name? Like the founder Zoroastra. of Zoroastra? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, it was like someone like him with like, this hat thing, um, but in color Wow, um, and a beard. Oh, and I can totally see that the...
0: image as you're describing him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, or like, like <laughs> I, connected. Yeah. Oh, I just got yeah. goosebumps on my arms. Yeah. That's the oh. first thing
1: I saw. That's wow. in this conversation.
0: Did, did know. you know you were, did you, ha- did you have an insight, like a feeling when you no. sat and closed your eyes to meditate that you, were you guided to seek access to the Akash or did it just happen organically? Like, did you, had you been thinking about the Akash for some time or was it just like, oh my gosh, I'm in the Akash, wow. I had been there previously, but I didn't know what it was. Um, And
1: once I learned about what it was, it was hard to access it. And then once I let go of what I believed to be the Akash was when I could intentionally sit and connect a lot easier. Um, so I did sit with intention of this is I want to go to this space, you know, mm-hmm. and I was guided, like, as we talked about through Mayima and the dreams to get to that point, like this is where the answers lie for you. You need to go towards this direction. Mm-hmm. And I just, I followed all the tiny little breadcrumbs that were given to me and none of it made sense at the time. And it's still, they still don't, but they're still like slowly unraveling a bit. And to be honest with you, when I first sat to connect to the Akash, my intention was that I would connect with Krishna or Rishi or something like that, or Ma, someone like that, where they, they were waiting for me, but it was not that. It was my actual lineage that was waiting for me. And it, it's been surprising mm-hmm. in that way, because I have pushed it away my whole life, I've been disconnected from it. I have anger towards it even, you know? So it's been really interesting to like slowly reconnect with those parts of myself and open up to the idea that this is my bloodline and maybe I should learn more about it because I've just, you know, and I've been engulfed in Hinduism for most of my life and just like to me and, and what I saw growing up in Iran really rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't want to like investigate that part of my, of me anymore you know
0: understandably yeah. yeah and for your dad too it was probably the safer bet yeah. <laughs> the safer bet in a in a in a Muslim environment to go <laughs> to lean towards Hinduism versus Zoroastrianism you know or, yeah. or you know revealing that you're connected to the Magi on some level yeah you can't do that yeah no, no.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I just want to mention to listeners that if you haven't listened to part one of this interview, that's where that's what uh, Rohini's referring to when she says, "We well, you know we talked about Nananda uh who is a great a great sage that passed away in the '80s and uh, lived in Haridwar. So that's a beautiful story in itself about uh, Rohini's connection through her through her daughter. Yeah, <laughs> our
1: connection too. It's yeah. incredible. I really believe she brought us together. Oh, and <laughs> I really do. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I it constantly. I don't know if this happens to you when this
0: type of magic happens in your life because I know it does. And you're like, yeah. Do. Oh yeah. Yeah. I. You know, I her, <laughs> have a picture of her on my altar, and and I like every day I look at her. and well, I shouldn't say every day. She's there, but you know how your things are on your yep. altar. It's not like I'm looking at each each item, each murti or deity or whatever, you know, or whatever image. But this morning and yesterday, I was really like, I'll have a couple of times where I really am like, thank you, Ma. Like I really feel her love and really look at her and, and thank her. And and I really, I really believe I hear her speak to me, you know, and oh. she will tell me when she thinks, you know, oh, beautiful, like beautiful practice. Like if, they're, if I'm doing something and I, oh. you know, or, you know i'll I'll tune into guidance from here from her from time to time about certain things and so yeah it's just it's 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 a it's very special so so then with that let's talk more about magic like actual like yeah the magic of of the modern magic because we're living in this time we there are these ancient modalities that reside i believe within each and every one of us as humans and I, you, when you observe nature, animals, you see how they have a shared consciousness. You see how they're so hypersensitive to things. They're super tuned in. Mm-hmm. And as humans, you know, we've a lot of people have, have allowed uh, a loud numbing of the senses to yeah. take place. And I really think that when we numb our senses then you naturally don't believe in magic because you've cut yeah. off your communication stream to the magic of life you know to let it let it unfold so so what do you think about all of that what what and what's your view on on magic modern magic
1: i mean i have i have i have a love and hate relationship with it when I was first exploring in the Akasha, I one of the lifetimes I saw was of myself as like a witch, you know, which I know a lot of people actually see who do I the seen Akasha. I've seen that too.
0: I've seen myself get burned at the stake. Like, Me too. And I've, and I've also got on um, this body, I have oh. serious like marks, <gasps> like a palm, like as if I was cut, like hung on a cross or something, like crucifixion, you know, and I have like stab. On my torso, I've got like, I was born with wound marks from stabbings.
1: From past lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And oh, I saw um, that, that experience um, in a really intense session one time. It was really full on. Uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness. Oh. Yeah. But it was also very freeing in a weird kind of
1: way. Yeah. Absolutely. Because acknowledging it somehow like helps it heal too. Yeah. At least that's what I believe. Because it seems like if if we re-experience these things, like one would assume, or I once assumed that it would be a terrifying ordeal. Where it is, it's shocking to see that happen and and to have it be so familiar, you know? After acknowledging it, um, it started dissipating a bit. So I feel like it's a big part of healing just like the acknowledgement of it instead of holding it in you know because we do that and even if, with like regular everyday arguments or something like that it's about that release part but I'm sorry that you had to see that vision too because it's terrifying and, and then after I saw that I started identifying as a witch and this this very short period of time it's like two months um but i was like i'm a witch i'm (laughs) a witch like that's what's happening i'm a witch that's why and then you know that all unravels and i'm like i go deep into the world of like witchcraft or whatever and just to like not like um casting spells or anything but learning about it and connecting with other witches And I quickly learned, oh, this is not the work that I thought (laughs) it was going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's not the aesthetic I was looking for. I was looking for the energy work and what that means. And I think a lot of witchcraft today can be tied to the original um, definition of sorcery in a way, because it's very self-centered. And it's like, um, it's about, I'm going to manifest this for myself or something like that, where it's like, no, 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 or to harm others. But I'm like, okay, I'm glad that we're acknowledging that energy exists and we can work with it. This is a really great step. But the whole purpose of that original magic, and after you read the book, Original Magic, like that whole purpose of the magi and the learning how, to work with the elements and energy was to bring prosperous events and situations to the others around us and the world and to uplift the people around us. It wasn't understanding that we're all connected. And when we helped other people, that we're also helping ourselves, you know? And I think it's just like kind of trailed off
0: from that idea yeah. a bit. <laughs> it, it's interesting because when when I had the experience of the, of the, I'm, of, I saw myself, I was literally in that body, but of, of course I couldn't feel the heat and I didn't feel the pain of the flames, um, um, on my, on my actual physical body, but I was experiencing being tied to a stake with the flames around me. And, and in that moment, I remember thinking these people, they don't understand what they're doing. Yeah. These people are afraid and they don't understand what they're doing. And, and it wasn't like, and calling me a witch and as and it's interesting you you described it uh, uh, or connected it to sorcery because in my teacher's tradition in the Nepalese caste tradition uh, shamanic tradition in Nepal and actually parts of Tibet too they if you say the word witch they think you mean a sorcerer they don't
1: uh-huh. you know they're not
0: uh, connecting it to wicca or you know a nature-based practice or uh, more positive western descriptions of the word witch they really see it more as a as a sorcerer so if you go to Tibet or nepal and you say i'm looking for a witch they'll they'll actually think you're looking for like you you're looking for somebody to help you cast bad spells essentially yeah. so he was like be very careful like don't you know you never want to be mentioning this and and if you do kind of like lightly, jokingly, sort of, you know, don't go to Nepal and tell people you're a witch. <laughs> so wow. I thought that was that was interesting, but it in in my experience with with going deeper and trying to understand where my own like gifts and connection came from I I was shown that it connects to the Japanese side of my family. My, I'm quarter Japanese. My grandmother's Japanese, and that there was this this practice this, this I guess this lineage. And I was shown myself on a horse as an archer riding a horse through the forest shooting demons um oh. for the bow and Arrow and it was really amazing oh, and I've always ridden horses I show jumped horses I did massage so I have a very strong connection to two horses <laughs> and, uh, and I was like wow that's incredible and they were like you were the demon slayer and then and it was in the oh god what is it the so there's like a Japanese occult tradition I, I need to get I have these books about it hang yeah, on yeah I wonder wanted- <laughs> So the practice, the Jap- Japanese shamanic practice is Shintoism, and you know we could say that it, it's a form of Buddhism. Uh, today in Japan, modern Japan, they practice Shinto, but uh, in certain temples, um, but not definitely not in a sort of occult way. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, but I, I, I did manage to find an an out of print copy, an out of print edition of a book called Occult Japan, Shinto Shamanism Ah. and the Way of the Gods. And my gosh, uh, yeah. And so it it was really interesting that the reading about these incantations and the way they would uh, essentially be chanting mantras, um, you know, very similar to the Hindu tradition. Um, You know, I think they're all intertwined. And, you know, I think I do believe that a lot of these monks back then crossed lands and communicated with one another uh through a shared consciousness expanded consciousness and yeah. were able to transmit and share what they were doing because so many of these ancient teachings are so similar with the rituals and the activations and and they're all nature-based right they, they're not about harming others they're it's the practice of animism really recognizing yeah. that every living thing that animate and inanimate has has a spirit and a life force, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I really, like, I do
1: find it so interesting that so many parts of the, the world had these same practices, like you said, but I feel like it's in that collective unconscious where they were communicating. Mm. Cause you know, like there's pyramids on all sides of the world where they yeah. couldn't have traveled at that time. That collective unconscious and the way we communicate with the unseen world and within each other is mm. really powerful. And right now it's completely been hijacked by um media. So it's it's a really scary situation we're in in that way, where that collective unconscious is being controlled instead of open and expanded and um letting, I don't know, that's why meditation is important. Let's get
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's how we
1: can get to each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, it it so is. But what I loved the other day is on your Instagram, you posted um, some comments about communing with the spirits of the trees. And Uh, I thought, yeah, like, yes, like awesome that that you were, and you wrote about it in in such a a beautiful matter of fact way. It didn't sound woo-woo or like something weird was going down here, you know? (laughs) (laughs) which which i really like because i think it's so important to to talk about these subjects in in a matter of fact way you know they they were living in in this in this dual we live a dual existence you know we just just because we can't see something with our naked eye doesn't mean it's not there you know everybody has the ability to feel totally everything has the ability to feel yeah even our trees
1: and i don't know have you (laughs) have you dug deeper into the reincarnation aspect of Hinduism at all and the meaning of like what it like it let's say so their ideology is it just brings me to this I'm sorry to like just segue here but (laughs) their ideology is that um the vibration or the frequency that we die with is what we reincarnate to in our next lifetime and when we're living in this like egocentric um look at me very self-centered state of frequency if we die in that frequency then we're reborn at trees so people can look at us for Mm. a long time which is really I've always thought that was a really funny funny way of telling it I don't I don't know if it's true or so
0: interesting I uh, I have not explored that I haven't come upon that 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 writing either yeah no I haven't but but I you know I live in a forest i'm on 10 acres in a forest so yeah (laughs) maybe i'll go out and commune with the trees and ask them were you what would you form a life yeah show your past life the form of a tree the consciousness of a tree do you remember ever being a human who knows you know yeah and how how young old the tree is right like i think a very old tree probably wouldn't necessarily have that because um you know like in the redwoods where the where the trees are can be hundreds of years old I think maybe that yeah maybe that wouldn't be the same because I often feel there's like a real wisdom coming coming from the trees absolutely but maybe the purpose of that
1: of like reincarnating into that form is to gain the wisdom too you know True. Um, and I wonder if that wisdom crystallizes in a way where once they come back, that consciousness comes back. It's this unknowing form, you know, all knowing form, I should say. I should said that incorrectly, mm. but these are just speculations and things.
0: To ponder about. Yeah, yeah. I really had never. It hadn't occurred to me before, but I think that it's something. It's definitely a, a question worth pondering and and asking. You know, putting out there. Yeah. Seeing what what comes. You know, because you never know. Yeah. You know, until you yeah. ask. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And sometimes then you still don't know, but <laughs> you inch closer to the yeah, answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Oh, Hini, it was so great to see you today. Oh my gosh, we need to tell everybody how to find you, your website. You can find me
1: www.magicinclined.com. <laughs>
0: Yay! Thank you so <laughs> much. And she has so many awesome offerings on her website, and again, that is magicinclined.com. Thank you so much for having me. It's seriously an
1: honor sitting with you. It's, a, it's always a fun conversation, and thanks for bringing out such important issues, too.